0: I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God as real
1: too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day and how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. So we talked about Moses' story in our last episode. We should say that Moses' story is most of those first five books of the Bible. Yeah, he's got a big old story, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And those first five books uh, are very important like in the history of... Um, Judaism, they, there's a name for them because they were so considered so special to the founding of a people, right? So the first five books uh, are often called the Pentateuch. Have you heard that word before? I have. Before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of this idea that these are the foundational stories. Uh, and it used to be like, I, I'm, re- I'm remembering this as like a talking point, but it used to be, I think up until a certain point, you were supposed to almost memorize those first five books. You would commit them to memory because they were so, yeah,
0: (laughs) it was almost like, uh, yeah. So foundational.
1: Yeah. And, And they know those maybe like we are ideally, we would know the stories of Jesus as Christians, right? Mm-hmm. That they would be almost a part of our regular language, that they would have regularly told these stories and recited the verses and gone over the highlights and lowlights of all the stories and and the commandments and that they would have been working them out all the time in their in their world. Um, and so those first five books are really important. And so most of the story goes through several books. The Exodus, uh, obviously, Numbers is this the tracking of the wandering through the desert with a handful of stories in there. Leviticus is this record of all the laws that they were trying to live by together. And Deuteronomy is also like almost like just a telling from a separate angle Mm. uh, with more of an emphasis on the holy law. So it's Uh,
0: not all just like a linear climb through the story. It's different things that they're kind of sussing out from. They
1: have their purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But a lot of that is during the time of Moses uh, now Moses' story ends on this kind of sad note. We should have mentioned this maybe in the last episode, but it almost, it ends with him just out of reach of the promised land.
0: Right. Like yeah. he sees it. And then he
1: said, yeah.
0: God says you can't go in because yeah, they were scared of the giants.
1: It's a, it's another <sighs> tangled thing. There's, there's a moment that is kind of described as Moses being unfaithful. Where he strikes a stone to get rock out, to get water out of it, mm. because he doesn't trust that water will show up any other way, and I, it's again we talked about how Moses' story is loaded with good questions, and I mm-hmm. think that would go onto the list of this doesn't seem fair,
0: right? But because I think because he, he did a lot. I mean, five books. Yeah, though, Bible, he, come on.
1: He, he did a lot of good things. Yeah, we would want to make the case for him, but I think that's also part of the story is that as important as all these human agents are, the story is never just about them. The story is always about God moving God's people. And that even if somebody like a Moses who rises up and plays this giant role, it's still not a story about him. That it's still a story ultimately about God and God's people trusting each other and covenanting with each other. And so as we get into what we're looking at today, we're moving into this next sort of phase of the story where they're inching closer and closer to that promised land. Uh, fun fact about Joshua Judges Ruth, which is uh, a sentence in itself, fun if you really think about, about it. About yeah, Joshua, <laughs> Judges, Here's the fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one, it's a sentence, Joshua Judges Ruth, but also... Uh, did you ever do Bible bowl? I never did Bible bowl. You're welcome. Tell, tell me yeah. about Bible bowl. So I think it's still a thing, but in certain churches, Bible bowl was basically like if you combine Sunday school and jeopardy, <laughs> it's that's what you get is Bible. Okay. Bowl. Okay. And so every year they pick like a certain number of books and kids from around at least the country, if not the world, study those books. And learn all these details about them enough to do like a quiz. And there's buzzers. Mm-hmm. Like and you buzz in and you say, oh, Yeah.
0: Orange. Yeah. Orange.
1: <laughs> You'd never say yeah. orange. That <laughs> I don't think orange is in the Bible. I could be wrong about that. Somebody'll have to fact check us on <laughs> and that. on the next episode, you'll find out if orange was <laughs> yeah. in the Bible. We'll Stay tuned. Out. I mean, that's crucial to breakfast is oranges. Mm-hmm. So we that we should get on that. Um, but you do like it's fun because I would sometimes so I was on Bible Bowl. And the year I was on it, I think I only did it one year because I think our, our church group kind of slacked at the, we weren't very good. Only one year. <laughs> I was not a hardcore Bible bowler, but the year I was on it, we did Joshua, Judges and Ruth.
0: And, and the year you were on it, did you feel a little bit morbid about I did
1: feel <laughs> like this Bible was maybe a little weird because they are, they're very violent books mm-hmm. and especially Judges. There's all these different like leaders that rise up and they often meet their demise in really gnarly, gruesome ways. Ah, very Game
0: of Thrones. Yeah,
1: It is very Game of Thrones. And there's even one, I think the one I was telling you about earlier, I can't remember exactly. King Ehud, maybe? Okay. There's a guy who gets stabbed. You're not in... ready to Bible bowl again. No, it's been too long. <laughs> uh, but there's a guy who gets like stabbed in the gut and the text talks about him like his stomach closing over the knife. Mm -hmm. And I remember Mm -hmm. being pretty grossed out by Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. And the fun part about Bible Bowl is that a lot of times our team in particular, we would not really study. We would just sit through the first couple of rounds and like hear all the answers and then (laughs) memorize the answers. Or at least that's what I would do. (laughs) i sounds efficient. But I do, I will say in these books, Rahab stands out, has a story If for nothing else, especially when you're a kid, the idea that a prostitute is in the Bible, uh, is so intriguing, Mm -hmm. obviously, right? Like you're going along and there's all these stories and there's the names, you know, there's the Abrahams and the Josephs and, and then you get to Rahab being a hero. Um, I just want to say a few things about this, right? We kind of prostitute because language changes. That's not a word we try to find like different language around that some days now. I don't know if in your world, like people sometimes use the word sex worker right, uh, to kind of just show that prostitution is very often a social state, almost as much as like a life choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, and so people who end up doing sex work, a lot of times it's out of desperation. Right. And I just want to say, especially in the case of Rahab, here against I think we've talked about this before in in maybe when we've encountered some of these women in the story of Jesus but worth noting again if people are just jumping in like very often women did not have any other access to wealth or like survive it's a mode of survival because they can't just go get a job right there's an you cannot be a Starbucks barista uh you, there's there's very few routes for you to take we even talked about this a little bit with Hagar right like she ends up being a servant in Abraham and Sarah's household, which leads to her having to bear a child for them, right? So her body becomes less than her own. And that's certainly true here when we look at Rahab's story. Um, I think it's, it's important to say there's a reason it's the oldest profession is because women very often have not had any other route. Uh, if they, let's say they're in an abusive marriage or a husband dies in the war. Or they don't get married. Like there's lots of things that could have led a woman to being desperate. Absolutely. Um, So we want to consider that when we think about this story. Also, it was the reason it's the oldest profession is because there were plenty of men who wanted to partake.
0: Right. It was a it was. I mean, that's why it was accessible to women to take advantage of that opportunity for sustenance.
1: So it is a whole society problem. Mm -hmm. I think it's just worth remembering this. I remember learning, this is more, we might have talked about this when we talked about the book of Acts uh, or the gospels. um, But I remember learning that there's an ancient library. I want to say in Athens, but I, I could be wrong about that. But just to make the case for how prevalent this was in the ancient world, there was a library where it had a secret tunnel to the brothel that was across the street mm. so that men could go in
0: I would be like, I'm just pretending like they're going to
1: read some nice scrolls and then take the secret tunnel. Um, but even if it didn't have secret tunnels, uh, I remember learning about Ephesus that there was, it was like a count of how many brothels there were against how many bakeries there were. Mm. Cause you think about a world where a loaf of bread only lasts for a day yeah, and you can't refrigerate it. So, you'd have to go to the bakery every day,
0: oh, right, to get your
1: daily bread. and right? it was
0: comparable numbers and yeah. you're- so, there so there's you're just, just as
1: yeah. many brothels as there were bakeries, and there were a lot of bakeries.
0: so of course, women are gonna find that as an opportunity to be, I mean, it complicated, but because it seems like yeah. a way to be your own person, but under the circumstances
1: of, I don't know. And again, survival, right? Yeah. So let's walk through the story a little bit. And again, it's it's kind of, it's like a little bit like a spy novel. There's twists and turns. They're but they're on their way. They're they're close to what they think is the promised land, right? Right. But they they send Joshua becomes kind of Moses' successor. Mm-hmm. Um, Joshua, son of Nun. which I remember that he was the son of Nun because of Bible Bowl, and that's N U N. You um, like had to be somebody's son. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> joke yeah uh and so he sends in these two spies and they're kind of they're kind of scoping out the land and they because ha- the
0: promised land is occupied correct right yeah, yeah.
1: it's not just like there's people there it's not a big like sign for lease right? right yeah there's people there so again we are looking at a world in which sometimes the story of god seems to move through violence and that's or violence is at least part of the story and, and God's people have to work around it or in it or through it. Um, funny enough, they kind of, if you remember the story, they take it by marching.
0: No, I don't remember that. Remember they
1: march around the walls of Jericho. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. so it's
1: actually the the marching that does it. So it's less violent than it you would expect from a, a takeover like this, but I think there's a song about it somewhere I'm in my brain. I'm sure there is, Yeah. Um, and if you were a little kid, you had to like, I always make little kids like march around mm-hmm. and pretend like they're in the, the marching band. So, but yeah, so the Joshua sends these spies and he keeps them at Rahab's house or her brothel. Right. And there's this moment where she has to lie to hide them and she has to deceive the people who are, Basically, they come to her. You have spies in here, and she has to pretend she doesn't.
0: She's like, "They went that way. Yeah, they went that
1: way." And in return for the first, I think this is our maybe the first case of they went that way, mm-hmm. like the first misdirection. Mm-hmm. Any so, if you've ever seen a spy movie, Scooby Doo, yeah, any episode of Scooby Doo, it all comes back to Rahab, which I think is important. Um, it's kind of a tricky story. Like, I don't know if you remember. Did you do you remember learning about the story as a kid? No. I, didn't. You, I did think you? It's, I I do remember learning about it but I think it's a tricky one because there's deceit there right right um I always say in fact did not go that way right yeah she she made that up and I think it's a tricky one to teach because here's this is what we've seen every week right is God is in the circumstances with people is ultimately going to carry out what God wants in the world but it is not the perfect perfect thing we expect it to be. Mm -hmm. That it's through these families that were one sons loved more than the other. It's through Noah who passes out on the beach. It's through Moses who just killed that one guy that one time. It's all these tangled stories. And so here you have, it's almost like God is using the fact that Rahab has probably gotten good at saying they went that Mm away. She's probably had to cover up for a lot of men In her life, there's probably been a lot of times where somebody came and said, did this guy stop by last week? And she has to say no. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if God is using that skill that she has, that maybe nobody else could have lied and protected these spies like Mm -hmm. she could. Because
0: it it was obviously believable.
1: Right. Because she convinces them, And what she asks in return is that her family be protected. Mm hmm. So again, we see her doing whatever it takes to survive. I think it reminds me of, I don't know if you remember this when we did the gospel stories, but Jesus sometimes tells stories where you're not supposed to act like the people in the stories necessarily. Like he tells the story about the dishonest manager. Do you remember this? Like the there was a manager of a little of a little land who basically cheats to get ahead. And when Jesus tells a story, you're not supposed to be like the dishonest manager, mm-hmm. but he gets around to the point of the story is that if you have a little, you'll be trusted with a little. And if you have a lot, you'll be trusted with a lot. And so I think in some of these stories, it's not like we're supposed to like model our lives, right? but we're supposed to see that there's still some truth in the story. There's still some thread of God's presence or God's provision, right? There's still... There's a way that God is moving, even when nothing is perfect, Mm -hmm. which should be comforting to us because I can't fathom we've, have you ever had a day where you were perfect? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe last, (laughs) last Thursday, you thought you might've got there. my recent memory. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I I can't put a date on it, but Mm -hmm. maybe, uh, but I find it to be comforting.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: so let's, let's think about this. When you think about the person of Rahab, we don't get as much about her as we do about you know, a Moses. Right. We don't have sprawling chapters about her life. We just get this, this little window Mm -hmm. into who she is. Uh, any, any picture you have of her for breakfast?
0: Uh, first thing that comes to mind is maybe family eats first. Okay. Like protecting, (laughs) yeah. Protecting her crew seemed to be on the forefront. Like, I don't know what her motivation might've been beyond making sure that her family's protected once they're, um, living situation get, will eventually be attacked and she yeah. finds a way to make sure that her people are cared for.
1: Yeah. Maybe she has a lot of people depending on her, mm-hmm. especially if she's not just a, a sex worker or a prostitute, but she's the person running the brothel. She would yeah. have felt responsible she's for the, the head other the people. the household essentially, which yeah. we don't get
0: to see very much as far as women go in the Bible.
1: Yeah. So she may have been the one sitting back to make sure everybody ate before she did. Um, I like to think of and I don't know if this is this is totally just me projecting mm-hmm. <laughs> and and maybe just playing with this a little bit. That's okay. But I think maybe breakfast was a clarifying moment for her. Mm. Like it was a moment of mercy to her to have the sun come up. You know, that some part of her can't love what's become of her life. And um I want to use a couple Frederick Buechner lines here.
0: Okay. Surprise. Not, not in the least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we
1: need to have a, like a stinger, like a little song, whenever we quote Frederick Beekner. Beekner, That's a good one. Because uh, he has a couple of good lines about this, but this is actually not. So I was, I just, because he just passed away uh, not too long ago. And so I've been rereading some of his works and I just reread. He's got a book called Godric that is based on a real life saint, but it's kind of an imagining of this saint story. And part of his retelling of this saint story is to to pay attention to just how unsaintly this saint is. Ah. And there's a line uh, that's I have not been able to stop thinking about it. But Godric, at one point, prays, uh, "God have daylight mercy on my midnight soul." Mm. And I don't know if you can can relate to that feeling of like I'm a certain person in the morning.
0: And then sometimes sometimes I feel like I'm a different person in the darkness. Yeah,
1: we're just tired and worn out, and nothing feels as true as it did in the daylight. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think there's some literal. When he's telling that story, it's because Godric goes out drinking and partying at night, and is thinking ahead to the morning when he's probably not going to feel good about his decisions. Mm -hmm. And so that line came to my mind that that maybe Rahab at breakfast, it's a moment of returning to her real self, right? Um, I want to say another, uh, while we're talking about him, he has also has one of my other favorite lines. This is specifically about Rahab. And this is from, I've used this book before, this Peculiar Treasures, where it's these like short entries on different characters in the Bible. Um, and he of course makes a note of an important thing that Rahab is actually in the genealogy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, He says, Matthew lists Rahab as one of the ancestresses of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we need to, I like that word, ancestresses. And he says, that may be one reason why there was something about freewheeling ladies with warm and generous hearts that Jesus was never quite able to resist. Uh, And I just have always kind of appreciated that framing of it, Mm -hmm. right? That there's something in the blood of Jesus The blood that's running through his veins when um, the notorious sinner, sinful woman comes in and cleans his feet with her hair, Mm -hmm. that some part of him... Maybe thought of Rahab's story mm-hmm. uh, because we're able know, to call that family. Yeah, and that's his family. And I, I think there's something in Rahab's story that kind of stays alive in the text because she gets listed in Hebrews 11, which is this hall of faith. Have you ever read that? Like the mm-hmm. listing of all these Old Testament characters who were faithful. She gets listed there, but she gets listed as Rahab the prostitute. Mm. And I've always had a real like frustration with that. And I know that it's supposed to be redemptive that.
0: Right. Like despite or despite or
1: something yeah, like that. That here's the, she has a prostitute is included in this name of faithful people.
0: Right. But, but something at at the end of the day, that's not yeah, her.
1: Yeah. She is Rahab. I think of her as Rahab, the daughter. That I feel like that role, because it's her family that she's trying to protect. Right. And that they're the ones she's trying to keep safe. And if there's any the that defines her it's that role she plays has the daughter has the one trying to protect her family at any cost I wondered have you ever thought of yourself as Keaton the blank mm. have you ever had anything like that where Probably you felt, too
0: often <laughs> yeah, yeah trying to named. figure out what your identif- yeah where your identity lies yeah Keaton the student Keaton the athlete Keaton the Keaton the daughter perhaps
1: yeah, yeah. and sometimes those can be life-giving mm-hmm. right it can be helpful to have that blank filled in And sometimes they can be so limiting Mm -hmm. and make you feel so small. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think as we go through these stories, every person, whether it's like Jacob, the shyster, (laughs) you know, or Adam and Eve, the, the first failures, you know, whoever, whatever their the is, I think at least one of the threads in these stories is that they are the beloved um, that every single one of them, that's the the that completes their story, right? That that's mm-hmm. what we see, however they uh, however they eat breakfast and whatever kind of moment they have the night before, they are the beloved. So hopefully for all of us, uh, whatever time of day we're listening in on this, uh, we will feel just a little bit of that fresh, fresh daylight mercy that comes over the breakfast table. Thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Translation.